Welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio, your source for breaking news, business trends, and economic forecasts here and abroad that impact one-third of America's economy. And now your hosts, Lou Weiss and Tim Grady. Welcome everyone to Manufacturing Talk Radio. This is Tim Grady. I'm here with my co-host, Lou Weiss, and we are sitting in our normally ice-cold studio, which is now a very warm studio without air conditioning, so we're going to have a hot show today. And we have a very exciting guest, uh, Kevin Ledversis, excuse me, Kevin, for stumbling over your last name. Uh, Kevin's from Newcastle Systems, and uh, we're going to be talking about what they do, and by the way, the has some startling statistics we'll be going over as well. Uh, Lou, this looks to be one of those shows where a fascinating subject matter and, you know, the numbers that just seem out of place, but they're real. Uh, They are. I I happen to have had uh, pre-discussions and I did some pre-research and they really are uh, incredible. So I suggest that we get right to it. Uh, the longer we have, the more numbers we have. That's right. Kevin, welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio. Thanks for having me today. So, Kevin, if you wouldn't mind giving our listeners kind of a, the elevator pitch for Newcastle Systems and what you folks do, and then we're going to start to get into some of the topics that you've brought forth. Absolutely. Thanks uh, again. Thanks for having me, guys. So, Newcastle Systems are a Boston area based company. And- pretty much service the warehousing and, and the factory floor for um, enabling workers and making them more mobile uh, by eliminating static devices. So really what we make is essentially a battery on wheels, if you can envision that. So somebody has a computer and they take it anywhere they want to in their facility using wireless technology, and all that really does at the end of the day, it just reduces tremendous amounts of footsteps. We think up to four to five miles uh, a day's walk in many of these facilities, and that's what we're trying to do to, to help avoid that. Kevin, I noticed in one of the articles that you have done for for another uh, manufacturing organization, love the title, but you have to explain it, Water Spider, Tiny Insect or Production Floor Game Changer. I'm familiar with water spiders, what I call water striders, or little characters that shoot across the top of a lake. And somehow you have to figure out how they stay afloat, don't just sink into the water. So what was the mm-hmm. thrust of that article? Yeah, so in the manufacturing floor, a lot of uh, a lot of time is wasted in kitting or replenishing the line. So I mean, you have mm-hmm. a lot of people who will literally get up off their bench. You know, they're doing value-added work, say it's assembly. And if they run out of material and they can't find somebody, they have nothing to mm-hmm. do. Right. So, best practices nowadays is, you know, you have somebody who's really tied into the to the shop floor, uh, and their job is to make sure that people don't run out of material. And so they're kind of meandering through the cells, um, heavily used in lean manufacturing, uh, but really their focus is to make sure people have what they need so they can keep doing the value-added work that they're, they're paid to do. Uh, interesting. Now, you have a statistic in here which I find Shocking. Um, mm-hmm. The average manufacturing and distribution plant has an absenteeism and employee turnover rate of 37% greater than one third. Is that per year? It's obviously not per day or per month. Mm-hmm. What, what is that 37%? Is that an annual rate? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it, and a lot of it's affected by the actual job itself. 
but typically what we see is in, in the lower paying jobs that affect you know distribution centers and, uh, and manufacturing floors people with low with a low uh, unemployment rate right now people just choose not to come to work I, I had a customer last week major drugstore chain won't say who they had 400 people not show up for work on one day oh. now I will say it happened to be a very nice day weather related I don't know if that had anything to do with it but the reality <laughs> is you can't can't plan production when you don't know who's coming to work. No. So is this what's contributing to the job, the uh, employee shortages, that it's just that people don't want to come to work? You know, they don't want to come to work. They're not inspired. They don't feel like they're paid enough. You know, and I, I don't want to, you know, lay claims as to the to the group of uh, the age group of who's doing what. But, you know, a lot of millennials, um, they really, they're not inspired to do this type of work. So in many cases, you know, they're opting for more interesting work, and they feel like they're going to chase their dreams, whatever that is, whereas people from my smiter, I'm, I'm a boomer, you know, we were raised, you know, you get up, you go to work. My father made sure I'd make it to work every day when I was a young kid. That was instilled in us. And so I think a lot of us at our age, we kind of hung in there for many years at a job maybe we didn't really love, but we just did it because we knew it was the right thing to do. Whereas different generations, they're like, you know what, this is not for me, and uh, I'm out of here. And when you can walk across the street, literally in places, and find a job in, in a day, it's not—it's nothing stopping them from doing that. I did read a report just recently, and I'm not a hundred percent sure that it was the Pew's Pew report, but I—I mm-hmm. I think it is. And they stated that seventy percent of the employee population in this country hate their jobs. So yeah. that that would support the fact that half of them not only hate it, but they don't go to work. That's yeah. that's amazing. It is. It is, yeah. I, I, I guess I agree with that. So what's your suggestion on uh, a cure, a, uh, a position to uh, make people like their jobs, to incentivize it, uh, to do whatever. What are you suggesting? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I've seen companies, you know, really dealing with the same labor pool as their competitors, but they're able to keep their people. Some of it's really just common decency as to how you treat people. Um, one of the most important things a supervisor can do, and if you're listening out there today and you're a supervisor, first and foremost, make sure you engage your employees. If you don't engage your employees, they start to have this feeling that you literally don't care about them. Uh, you know, if you're walking by them and, and you, know, you treat them like a ghost and you don't know their name, you don't know their story, they have a disconnected feeling with your company and, and the supervisor. And then those people start to feel disenfranchised and it's very easy for them to leave, especially when they can, you know, make 50 cents an hour more. That's the reality. That low mm-hmm. pay today, that low pay is, uh, is driving a lot of people into different industries. So magic number from what I've seen is about $2 an hour for somebody who's hourly. And, you know, for most people, $2 an hour doesn't sound like much, but for some of these folks, that's the difference between, you know, a slightly better quality of life. And we, we sort of said, look, you can't pay everybody $2 an hour, especially if you got, I don't know, 500 employees out there, but you definitely want to keep your eight players today. You have to keep your eight players. And if it's as little as $2 an hour, if that's what it takes, then we really strongly encourage you to make sure you keep them. And and is this two dollars an hour on top of minimum wage or their prevailing wage? 
Prevailing wage. Yeah, I know. Now, that prevailing wage is not super high to begin with. You know, you take, you know, distribution facilities today, you know, with e-commerce, you know, average income is something like $14 an hour, 13 or 15 maybe. So right. it's not a ton of more money. It's not a lot more money. Um, and then a lot of companies are also looking at non-financial rewards, such as, you know, a lot of people just want a little more time off. They want flexibility. They want to do continuous improvement projects so they can make themselves better, maybe education. Um, there's a lot you can do. Um, but the worst thing you can do is neglect those people. Okay. And what now, you know, from the employer standpoint, for instance, if I give my employee employees more time off, I still have to get the work done. So now I've got mm-hmm. a double whammy. I'm paying one person not to show up and work, and I'm paying another person to show up and work. At what point does the employer say, huh, I bet I can mechanize that job. I can automate it, put a robot in there, and solve my problem. You're seeing a lot of that? Uh, absolutely. In fact, I just uh, I was just out at the IMTS show out in Chicago a couple weeks back, and uh, robotics is everywhere. And the difference between when I was, uh, I mean, I remember 20 years ago going to a show and they had a robot shooting a basketball through a hoop, right? And the thing right. was massive. Well, the robots of the future are small, and they actually work side-by-side people. And they don't have to be caged. They're very safe. Uh, the future is, yeah, some of those jobs are going to go to a small robot that can do assembly or, you know, repetitive tasks, which, honestly, that boredom factor for a lot of people, uh, they don't want to do that job to begin with. So I think, to your point, you're going to see these transitions. People are going to leave and be replaced by small robots. And the robots don't take time off. They don't get sick leave. They don't take vacation and all of that stuff at the same time, correct? Absolutely. And as you know, if you own a business um, and you can count on that robot showing up every day, you know, you can plan for the future. You can plan capacity. You can plan for growth. Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, Kevin, you know, the other uh, thing to look at is besides putting managers on the floor, what are some of the strategic benefits? Uh, are, do they go beyond just, uh, you know, give you a dollar more an hour or I'll give you some more paid time off? Are there any other ways to manage employees to get them more engaged in their work? Uh, do we have to turn everything on the job floor into a video game? Well, you know, I think, you know, obviously people want it. You know, it's been proven that, you know, engaged employees, I was at a seminar not long ago, engaged employees, the numbers are something like they produce more than, 30% more than somebody who's not. So if you can get a third more out of somebody just by caring about them, it um, seems inexpensive. It doesn't cost much to do that. But, you know, we suggest, you know, first of all, it's leadership. If you're a type of supervisor who's not wired to really care about people, then it's going to be very hard for that person to make the transition to be uh, an engaging leader. But, you know, if you look at sort of the Toyota production system and lean manufacturing, it's all about Kaizen and continuous improvement and, and team building. Um, and people who feel like they're part of the organization, they are looking to eliminate waste and to make the company more profitable. Um, people who aren't and don't care, they don't turn their nose at something that might even help the company, which is a shame because a lot of the waste is just right under their noses. 
Uh, Kevin, going back in time, one of the big incentives for all companies, large, small, medium, and so on, uh, were company pensions. Uh, is that a factor today? Because we're hearing more and more that pensions are going the way of the uh, uh, goo-goo bird. Yeah. Doo-doo bird. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, think, I think the last thing I read was like pensions are only in about 3% of the companies in the country. Basically none the most part. Really? So, yeah, I think it's, you know, hey, if you can offer that to your employee, that's fantastic. But most people are having to, you know, self-fund their retirement. Right, right. Uh, many companies were uh, they were doing um, pension matches where mm-hmm. you would do four or five percent, and the company would do four or five percent. So that became a you know a meaningful uh, amount of money going into a pension. But you don't hear much of that anymore. No, not at all. So, so what is it that your company does to help? Mm-hmm. Uh, a manufacturer who is having issues with his uh, employee base. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a couple of things we can help with immediately is fatigue. So if you're forcing somebody to sort of walk back and forth to a, a computer, we'll say uh, on a factory floor or warehouse, you know, most times managers don't know how much time they're actually spending, but you know, we've proven that it's in some companies it could be as much as four hours a day. So you're paying somebody basically eight hours a day, but they're only working four because they're walking, literally just walking around. And I don't think any responsible manager would want their people doing that. It's just that they're not aware of it. So our product basically takes those devices that they need, uh, sort of think like a, of a tool belt. If you're a carpenter and you got to go up on top of a roof, you know, you're not going to go up and down that ladder 50 times a day. You're going to take your tools up there and you're going to stay up there until you do your work. And that's kind of what we do. We, we take their computing devices they need, and they're allowed to go anywhere in that building and do the work they need to. So we eliminate a lot of time and fatigue, and they become more productive, less fatigued, and um, generally happier. Because what I found interesting enough, Lou, is that when I interviewed those hourly workers, I learned that they don't want their time wasted either, regardless of their pay. They want to do work that's valuable. And they don't like people having to walk four hours a day because they, they don't feel like they're being productive. But it's interesting, Kevin. I just read recently, and I believe it was Delta Airlines that made the discovery. They were working with a Madison Avenue uh, consulting firm, trying to look at ways to improve efficiency uh, across the airline. And lo and behold, their gate agents came up with an idea that has literally saved them fuel and labor costs. And the suggestion was that instead of pushing a plane straight back from the gate, which interferes with the other planes on the gates on the other two sides, if where possible, they could push it back at a 45 degree angle, they wouldn't interfere and they could turn the plane faster and get it out on the tarmac faster. And that was a huge savings for the airlines, and in fact, they adopted that. So there's a case where the employees want to be heard, and they brought yeah. a suggestion forth to a company who was listening, and exactly saved saved the company a lot of money. That's that's a great story. Unfortunately, a lot of companies out there they don't think that somebody at that level 
has any great ideas and they just shut them out, which is a shame because I can imagine the millions of dollars that's going to save them. Yes, uh, and, and Lou and I have talked to a lot of guests over the years, and it's very frequently the case where the employees know when something is screwed up or it's mm-hmm. not efficient or it's broken or it's bent and it's not working up the snuff and it's harming their production and slowing the works down and gumming it up. So, yeah, listening to your, your frontline on-the-floor staff members for improvement mm-hmm. is a great place to get improvement. doesn't cost you any money. So I, right. I imagine you run across that. Absolutely. Well, it, only, it only takes one question. Ask your employee, and we've done it within All Metals and Forge Group, ask your employee, what could you come up with to make your job better and easier? And you'd be surprised at what, what comes up, and sometimes from the most unlikely sources. So we mm. subscribe to that idea as well because it's, it's the person on that front line who says, you know, why am I putting this from my left side to my right side, left side to my right side? Why don't I just have it on my right side all the time? <laughs> right. Right. Common sense is not so common sometimes, you know. Uh, I'm sure. That's right. Well, right now, air conditioning would be great. Oh, but... my God. I can't believe how hot it's in the studio. Uh, Hang in there, guys. You're going to make it. Yeah, right. <laughs> so the waste motion, you know, Kevin, there's another uh, great story out there, and you probably have some others. If you do, I'd love to have you share them with us. Where Amazon.com used to have their pickers go to the shelf to pick the product, right. to put it in the box, to put it on the line, to ship it. And instead, they automated their shelving. And now the picker stands still, and the shelving through robotics in the floor comes to the picker. So that was a That's very right. interesting study. Yeah. Um, Amazon happens to be one of our earlier customers. I mean, they've had, I don't know, like 4,000 of these things that we manufactured, but they had them 10 years ago. So they, they're always way ahead of the curve in terms of technology because their their whole mindset is to get things to your house faster than their competitors and more accurately, and they're really, really good at that. So, yeah, you're right. Um, they have something known as a pod. It looks like a four-sided uh, cubbyhole, if you will. And mm-hmm. what's impressive is the items have the most, because I've, you know, I've visited numerous centers, they have the most random selection of products you've ever seen, but their algorithms tell that when somebody buys product A, they often buy product C. And they, instead of having somebody walk to get this stuff, get motion, time travel, they actually have a robot pick up the pot and bring it to the person packing the goods. Now, the amount of money that saves them, they don't tell you, but they have 100,000 robots now, and they're building thousands yeah. more. They see the benefit. Clearly. So when you've, yeah. uh, when you've gone to a manufacturing company and have told uh, your, your story and your uh, mm-hmm. recommendations and solutions, what typically do you find uh, is the improvement in terms of uh, absenteeism, turnover, and so on in a company that has adopted your, uh, your program? Yeah, I mean, I can't, I can't say that I can have the data to, to actually give you that number, but what I can tell you is the people are happier. And, only, and I know you can't really measure that, but when they're less fatigued, is that the reason they're staying at work? I don't know. 
Um, I think on the factory floor, with typically versus the distribution center, we'll say it's a little high, it's a, normally a better paying job. It's a little bit, a little more uh, autonomy. Um, the work they're doing is is more valuable than say just picking up a box and throwing it on a truck. Um, I think those people in that space, in my opinion, seem that they're they're happier of the two industries. But a lot of the manufacturing that use our product is not necessarily about keeping people. It's about accuracy of data. So let's say you're a, you're managing ten machines and you're a QA guy and you're walking back to that office to enter data 20, 50 times a day, there's a very good chance that eventually you're going to make a mistake. And so accuracy comes about when you're looking at your work and doing it while you're looking at it. And so a lot of the benefit for manufacturing comes about real-time data and accuracy. Okay, well, that's... uh... Vital information. Kevin, what else would you, you know, if you were talking to a prospective client, what mm-hmm. else would you lay out before them uh, from Newcastle Systems that you think you can do for them when you go into either a manufacturing or a warehousing situation? Yeah. I mean, really, I think what people are surprised about is that when you have motion in a, in a facility, factory or distribution center, it has a huge impact on your metrics. So, you know, most well-run companies today have KPIs, and uh, say you're receiving trucks all day, and you're, now you're doing, I don't know, 10 trucks an hour. Just by eliminating motion, we've had companies double their receipts. So a lot of distribution struggles with capacity. They're growing so fast, they can't handle it. And I can tell you one thing. If you have somebody walking four hours a day and you have 10 guys doing that, you've just wasted 40 hours. And the amount of right. work you can get done, when, when you take that 40 hours out of the equation, they're actually working, they're shocked at how much more productive they are. Well, it's simple. They're actually working now as opposed to walking. Uh, right. So that's, that's, that's the biggest surprise that people have is that they're like, wow, I cannot believe how more efficient we are. And, again, walking is a problem that most people don't see. It's, just, it's assumed that, that somebody's walking there and they must be going somewhere to do something. In reality, they're often walking away from their work as opposed to walking to their work, and that's that's a big problem. Uh, Kevin, going back, uh, I guess it's two years ago now, uh, maybe three, Los Angeles port had a strike, mm-hmm. which uh, really hamstrung this country for a good six, seven months. Uh, and one of the uh, issues that were uh, brought to the surface was the fact that the union – uh, who can be an obstacle at times, uh, refuse to allow the port to become more automated. And the reason mm-hmm. they wanted to become more automated, of course, was to get more production. And the union, of course, fought that, that the people mm-hmm. were being taken advantage of because you're going to use robots and so on. Um, so have you run across anything like this in, 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 with any of your mm-hmm. clients? that have a union that were objecting to the implementation of a program that's going to improve productivity and perhaps take jobs, quote unquote. Yeah. I mean, it's happened several times and the union was on board because our product doesn't, doesn't replace jobs. It makes people more productive. Right. So what they like, they liked about it is what your people are going to do more work without really working any harder which 
was a win-win. So people became more productive. They became less fatigued. And what you really have to do is you have to engage them early in the process. I think if you just buy a product, I don't care whose it is, and then you just say, hey, union, you got to use this thing, that doesn't work. But if you engage them early and say, hey, here's what we're trying to do. This is actually going to help you be less fatigued, make you more productive, and make your job easier, it's much easier to get them to accept it. Is money ever an incentive in improving productivity? Money for the users or the owners? For the, for the, the employee. Uh, for example, uh, your production rate is uh, 25% mm. of whatever. If you get mm-hmm. up to 35%, you will get X. Uh, maybe more oh, dollars yeah. per hour or more uh, bonuses or a quarterly bonus or something. Is is that yes. ever a yep. major contributor? It is. Uh, a lot of the retail distributed companies, uh, you know, the world, and you know who they are, they incentivize their, let's say you're receiving trucks all day and you have a an engineered standard that says, I don't know, 10 units per hour. That's the minimum that you need to receive. Well, With our product, they often get a bump, um, let's say 20%. They get paid, uh, incentive pay, uh, based on overachieving and exceeding that goal. So, again, you take away the walking, they love the tool because they make more money. Got it. It's interesting that you mentioned that years and years ago, Kevin, there was a study between incandescent lighting on a production line and fluorescent lighting on a production line. And the purpose of the study was to determine whether this new fangled fluorescent lighting would improve uh, output on the production line. So they began measuring the completed articles at the end of each production line, and it went back and forth between incandescent and fluorescent. So they couldn't necessarily use that to determine that fluorescent lighting improved production output in the line. But a subsequent study, it turned out that before they had not measured output per line. And now that they were, the the employees were having a competition that they Mm -hmm. didn't know was happening. And (laughs) as a result, that's what caused the fluctuation in the original study on lighting. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we have to have have some metrics. Well, that's an interesting approach, uh, creating competitiveness between a production line, a sales department, uh, what have you. Yeah. Uh, That's uh, very intriguing. Well, Kevin, is there anything else you want to throw out to our audience, including your website address and your email as we wrap up this segment? Yeah, I think, you know, really today's really more about the manufacturing space. And I guess being at the IMTS show, um, the technology that's coming, you know, robotics, the Internet of Things, and uh, 3D printing, the jobs that are going to be coming down the pike are going to become much more technical. And, you know, I think last time we talked, guys, you know, we talked about how our manufacturers going to keep people in positions with this new technology. And a lot of it goes back to educating kids in school about what's possible i think there's a you know a misnomer about what the the factories look like today versus when i was working at stanley tools in the 80s you know there's oil all over the place and grease on the floor those days are gone for the most part i mean factories you walk in today they're beautiful um and so i think that manufacturers are going to need to really 
they're going to, you know, the kids are going to have to up their game. Educators are going to have to up their game. But it's going to have to be a, a collaboration between the manufacturers and education because the schools can't afford to train these kids to what the manufacturers need unless they get help financially. Um, mm-hmm. You know, learning how robots interact with people is going to be interesting. You know, just managing these facilities, the data is, is astronomical. So I think the jobs of the future uh, are going to be great jobs for the people who can uh, be educated to work in the factories. Yeah, we think they are, too, and that's been our experience uh, over many of the shows we've done on Manufacturing Talk Radio. Kevin, we appreciate you joining us here on the show and sharing what Newcastle Systems does, which is found at Newcastle, S-Y-S, NewcastleSys.com, and you can always send an email off to Casper. Sorry, uh, why don't you give me the, the email address that you would like to have people send an email to, Kevin? Yeah, they can send it to me. It's kledversis, that's K-L-E-D-V-E-R-S-I-S at NewcastleSysSYS.com. Kevin, thanks for joining us on Manufacturing Talk Radio. Appreciate you being on. Thank you. Thanks for having me, gentlemen, and uh, hopefully you guys uh, get your air conditioning fixed. I think it just clicked on, and it's going to take a while to cool down, but thank you for your thought. Hot air rises and cold air sinks, so. (laughs) There you go. Have a great day, guys. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, you too. And we've been speaking with Kevin Ledversis of Newcastle Systems. He's the director of sales, and if you'd like to find out what that company does, Contact them at NewcastleSYS.com, Newcastle SIS. And we look forward to you listening to all our shows on Manufacturing Talk Radio, in addition to our shows on Women and MFG. That's our WAM show, Women in Manufacturing. So that's WomenandMFG.com. Or check out our entire library of shows and our up-to-date news articles at MFGTalkRadio.com. Thanks again for listening to this show today. Thanks for joining us on Manufacturing Talk Radio. You can hear our next broadcast each Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at mfgtalkradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.